You're listening to Hockey Night in New York, the premier live podcast covering the New York Islanders and the NHL at large. Here's your hosts, Sean Cuthbert and Tony Stubby. Ladies and gentlemen, it is Hockey Night in New York. Welcome to the program, everyone. It is Sunday, March 1st, 2020. Coming at you from the Hockey Night New York studios on Long Island. Got a great show coming up for you tonight, ladies and gentlemen. Arthur Staple from The Athletic will be joining me. Unfortunately, this is a solo show for me. Tony Stabile will not be able to join the fun, unfortunately. Uh, He got called to duty elsewhere, and he will not be able to get involved. So you just got me. But lucky for you, in about 10 minutes, Arthur Staple is going to join me. We're going to talk about the deadline, we're going to talk about everything that happened, things that didn't happen, and what the hell is going on in Islander country as far as on the ice goes, because folks, it was not a good week. I guess it could have been worse. They got a couple of points out of it, but you got three games, a big one against the Rangers. Well, they're all big now, right? But you get the game against the Rangers there, that ends up being a you know a 3-2 overtime loss. They end up salvaging a point when they were down 2 nothing. And, um, you know, overtime didn't work out so well for them. Uh, St. Louis goes the other way. They go up early, 2 nothing, And then they go into a shell, and they try to fend off the Blues, and it doesn't end up working out very well. They end up dropping that one in overtime, too, because the Blues got themselves a late goal to tie the game and force it to overtime. And once again, overtime was not friendly to the Islanders. And for the most part of the season, I'd say that, you know, overtime has been pretty beneficial. It's been a big part of the wins that the Islanders have been getting so far, but just not this week. And then comes yesterday, Butch Goring's big day. They send 91 up to the rafters, and the Islanders didn't really show up. They lose 4 to nothing in front of Butchie, in front of the Islanders alumni who came out to celebrate Butch Goring. The ceremony was great. It was nice getting number one up there, well-deserved. Obviously a huge, huge part of that dynasty that we all like to remember. And unfortunately, the Isles just couldn't bring it for them on the ice. And you got three losses all week. They only get the two points. They're still in the midst of this big, you know, playoff battle now. You have all these teams bunched up trying to fight for these uh, these couple of spots left in the playoffs. And it's going to be a dogfight until the end of the season. There's no doubt about it. And you can't be having games like you have this week if you want to stay in the mix, if you want to even make the playoffs. I remember... We were all talking about where they were going to finish, probably get home ice again, right? (laughs) And here we are, you know, clawing tooth and nail, just trying to stay into the playoffs. Hopefully they can snag maybe that three spot. I don't know if that two spots in the, the, uh, you know, is is too far in the distance now or not. But, you know, maybe they can sneak into that three spot. And and obviously you're going to want to have them, you know, stick in the wild card. But, I mean, it's going to be a tough road. And, you know, I've talked about many, many times on this show just how many games they have in such a, you know, shortened such a condensed period of time. So it's going to be tough. I'm not uh, I'm not saying they're finished. I'm still not going to get on the negativity train just yet, but they obviously have to show some more consistent, some, some better efforts than we saw this week, um, you know, regardless of who the opponent is. I mean, yeah, the Rangers have come on. They've been playing their best hockey of late. They were going on a good run coming into that game, you know, against the Islanders on Tuesday. Boston's, uh, sorry, St. Louis is the Stanley Cup champs, and Boston is one of the odds-on favorite to win the Cup this year. So all tough, all tough opponents. I guess, you know, the difference for me looking into this week, right, was you see the Rangers, okay, they're better than them. They should get that win. Then you look at St. Louis and you look at Boston, and I said to myself, well, those could be two rough losses, and sure enough, they end up losing them both. But I bring this up, I point it out because I feel like last year, 
you know, any opponent that the Islanders were playing, you felt good about their chances of winning. It didn't matter if it was a St. Louis or Boston or whomever, right? You knew that they were going to put, you know, put a good game out there and give themselves a real chance to win. I mean, look no further than where they finished. Look at look no further than their record. And but it's been different ever since they started going on this five hundred, you know, stride since that big that big streak. It's just it's it's tough to to see them go into a game against a team like Boston and expect them to get a win. I'm not really surprised by the result. And they've just been playing so inconsistent. You know, I mean, literally, you win one, lose one, right? They, they finish out another month here, and they go 500, 6, 6, and 3. And again, we, we joked about on this show how after that streak, you know, they can go 500 the rest of the, rest of the way. Our, our buddy Sal keeps pointing it out to us on Twitter that we jinxed them. But, you know, that's pretty much what they've been doing ever since that streak, and it's just not going to be good enough. And it's definitely not going to be, even if they hang on, even if they do, you know, get a bid for the playoffs, it's, it's just not the type of hockey you need to be playing to, to feel good about even having chances to come out of, you know, the first round. And obviously we have the big news of uh, J.G. Pajot becoming part of the team. I'm very happy about that. I'm going to talk to Arthur Staple about that a little more in depth. There was that wild uh, Zach Parise trade that apparently uh, almost happened but didn't happen. I'll talk to Arthur about that too. Uh, I'm curious to get his thoughts on that and, and where that ends up. And then you have, you know, what didn't happen, right? I mean, they, they, didn't, they, end up, they didn't end up getting a scoring winger. Chris Kreider ends up re-signing with the Rangers. Who knows how realistic that would have been anyway. But they do get J.G. Pajot. He does fill a huge, huge hole in this team as a three-center. And obviously, he acclimated himself to the team very, very well since he's joined. I'm excited about him being a part of this team long-term and what he can do to help them uh, the rest of the season, even though... Even though on the even the score sheet was has been good for him so far, but the record has not. Uh, you know, basically making his debut 0-1 and two here with the team. But hopefully, as he and uh, Andy Green continue to acclimate themselves with the team, we'll start to see a little more success. But with that being said, folks, I got to go to break so I can get Arthur Staple in here, and then we will be right back. Thank you so much for tuning in to Hockey Night in New York at HockeyNightNY.com, the premier live podcast covering the New York Islanders and the NHL at large from our studios right here on Long Island, hosted by Sean Cuthbert and Tony Stabile. Tune in weekly during the season Sunday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern time for insights on the team, great special guests, and commentary on all the happenings around the league. If you happen to miss us live, all shows can be streamed or downloaded 24 hours a day, seven days a week at the same address, HockeyNightNY.com. You can also find us on iTunes, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Stitcher, where you can subscribe and never miss a show, no matter what your preferred platform. Question for the guys? Comments? Interested in a sponsorship? Please contact us at HockeyNightNewYork at gmail.com for any and all inquiries. We appreciate all the support, and as always, let's go Islanders. Love repping your favorite Long Island hockey team? Can't get enough orange and blue swag? Look no further than Yes Men Outfitters, the independent lifestyle brand born on the island to support the game, the team, and the players you love. Visit YesMenOutfitters.com for a wide selection of themed shirts, hats, hoodies, and yes, even pajamas. All apparel is designed and created in-house with the same passion and dedication as your favorite team on the ice. So upgrade your wardrobe and show off your pride today by visiting YesMenOutfitters.com. And don't forget to use promo code HockeyNightNY for 10% off your order. That's YesMenOutfitters.com.
Welcome back to the program, ladies and gentlemen. You're listening to Hockey Night in New York with Sean Cuthbert and Tony Stabile. Unfortunately, Tony could not be with us tonight. But now we have Arthur Staple from The Athletic joining me. So, Arthur, thank you so much for joining. How are you? I'm good, Sean. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Let's get into it. The trade deadline has finally come and gone. Islander fans had a lot of wants, a lot of needs. Not sure if all of them were filled, but let's start there with the deadline and the big acquisition of J.G. Pajot. Just to start, I wanted to get your thoughts on on the acquisition itself and what the Islanders had to give up in order to bring him to the island. Uh, well, they had to give up a lot, that's for sure. You know, um, Obviously, the goal for Lou Lamarillo wasn't just to get a rental. It was to get him signed. They had identified him as someone that uh, could clearly help them, not just in the short term, but in the long term, filling that number three center spot. Um, so getting him under contract for six years uh, was was a pretty shrewd move. He's a young guy. He's having a great year scoring-wise. But I think in the long run, he, he does fit in with what the Islanders are trying to do. Now, that's, I think, a little separate from how much they had to give up. You know, a first and a second round pick is a lot, especially when they've right. already given up their 2021 second round pick in the Andy Green deal. So, um, you know, it's supposed to be a good draft. The Islanders aren't in the most secure playoff position. Um, so we'll have to see how it works out. I mean, they, they haven't won a game with Pajot in the lineup yet, <laughs> right? Uh, even though he's had a pretty good impact. He's had a pretty good impact. Yeah. Um, but I think obviously this, this is more pointed towards when Casey Zizekas is healthy this is a group of centers that can match up with just about anybody in the league. Um, and uh, and I guess they were willing to, to pay a price to get it. Right. And does the contract kind of help offset the cost? Do you still think that, that maybe was a little too rich? And, and maybe the market this season was a little rich if you look at the other deals that went on around the league. Uh, just uh, your thoughts on that. You know, I... It's uh, it's interesting, I guess. You know, with anything with draft picks, time will always tell. And really, when you saw what other guys went for a first round pick, I mean, I think you know people were kind of raising some eyebrows at Tampa for giving up their first rounder to get uh, uh, a guy who's even further down the the depth chart in Barkley Goodrow from right. San Jose. You know, Tampa, however, is a lot closer, I think, to a Stanley Cup than the Islanders are right now. Um, and then even, you know, Carolina giving up a first-round pick, one of their two, to the Rangers for Brady Shea, a defenseman who's under contract for a while. Mm. Different sort of situation. So, um, yeah, I guess you could say, you know, the fact that they did get him signed does offset it a little bit. And perhaps if it had just been the, the first-round pick and not the second as well, you could say, all right, well, that's, you know, that's a reasonable price to pay for a, a number three center, a, a guy who's, uh, you know, going to be in your lineup for a long time. Um, but I think both of those picks maybe. Maybe a little too rich, but I but I think Lou Lamarillo is never really worried about uh, paying the cost when he finds a guy that he wants to uh, to be part of the program going forward. Right, for sure. And I guess another another element that's going to make things interesting as far as this contract goes is you, you know you look at all the the names that they have to sign as far as their restricted agents go. So I mean, is this going to kind of have an effect on on what this this roster looks like next season? I mean, it's, it looks like it's going to be tough to hang on to everybody if uh, you know if they're looking to get Barzell at all to to get under contract, right? Yeah, I don't think it affects the restricted free agents. Obviously, those guys are priorities. Right. Whether it's you know Barzal being the biggest priority, and then Ryan Pollock and Devon Taves, who uh, particularly in Taves' case, I mean this is a bona fide top four defenseman for them right now, and Pollock's really been their number one, even though he's not really a traditional number one defenseman. But um, so I don't think it affects those three guys. I think you look more at the uh, at the rest of the, the roster, and you say obviously they're going to have to move. 
somebody or several somebody's out. You know, we look again, as we did last summer, to a guy like Nick Letty, who's got a couple of years left and, and still has some good wheels at his age. And, and uh, you know, he he can still have an impact for somebody. Um, you know, Leo Komarov is a guy who uh, has has actually had a pretty effective year at times, given his, uh, his role. But uh, two years left after this one, three million per, you'd have to think he might be a buyout candidate. And obviously trying to get rid of Andrew Ladd's contract, which they tried to do in the minutes before the deadline. Um, they were bringing in an even bigger contract than Zach Parisi if they'd made that happen. But, right. uh, but Ladd's contract is still, is still pretty onerous and, and stays on the books for, for a couple more years. So, uh, yeah, the, you know, making this trade and this signing with Pajot uh, does mean there are going to be some significant changes coming in the offseason. Right, for sure. And and now you bring up that that possible Parise trade. And I guess I guess my question is I don't, I don't know if you necessarily have the answer to this, but just to get your opinion on it, is what do you think the pro, the thought process was? I mean, it was a very interesting deal. I don't think a lot of fa- Islander fans really liked it if it really was what the reporting was where it was Parise, Koivu for Bellows in a first, I believe. What do you think the mindset of the Islanders was going into a deal like that? And obviously Ladd being involved as well. Yeah, I don't think that was the deal. I think Koivu was was discussed separately, uh, and he declined to to waive his no trade or, or even consider a move. I think uh, several days before, so I think that was a separate situation. But uh, but the I think the the lad Parise and, and who knows what other pieces were going from the Islanders to Minnesota, but uh, but I think the sticking point was was taking on that entire lad contract. Um, because Parise has been an effective player for the Wild the last couple of years, mm-hmm. even at age 35. Ladd is, Ladd is not really regarded as an effective player anymore. You know, I think that one game kind of showcase that uh, that Lamarillo and Trotz gave him right before the deadline was clearly an attempt to kind of see if uh, people would bite and, and feel that he was an effective guy again. Mm-hmm. Um, but one game's not really, not really going to cut it. So, it would have been an interesting trade, uh, you know. I imagine that uh, that the Wild probably also balked at uh, at, at whatever percentage of uh, of Parise's contract hit needed to be retained to make this deal work, and they just kind of ran out of time. You know, maybe uh, once we get to the summer, it might be revisited. But I would sort of feel like in the summer, the Islanders, if they can clear some cap space, might have some younger options uh, on right. the free agent market or on the trade market. Not not just the guy who Lou loved having in New Jersey and who in Paris, they loved playing for Lamarillo in New Jersey. So um, I could see it for something short term. And obviously when you add a cap hit, that's got five years and 7.5 million per left on it. There's nothing short term about it, but uh, you know, if you can somehow balance the financial commitment and the cap commitment, it, it, it kind of made sense because he is a scoring winger and that's something the Islanders really lack. Oh yeah. Big time. We're seeing that for sure. And, and speaking of scoring wingers, do you think the Islanders might've been in play for any other guys uh, at the deadline? I know you can't read Lou Lamarillo's mind, but do you think they might've been kicking tires and any other players out there? I'm not so sure. You know, I think uh, when we talk about kicking tires, you know, I think even in the Garth Snow era, people always kind of made fun <laughs> of the fact that they right. were kicking tires or something would leak out. You know, I think every, every GM who's a buyer, uh, you know, here's who's out there and, and has conversations about who might be available or, you know, what would it take to get this guy? I think it's just natural to part of the GM business. There's not that many of them. So they talk to each other an awful lot. Uh, and Lou certainly knows everybody and is in, involved in whatever might be out there, but it really wasn't 
you know, it wasn't like a crazy market when you see some of the guys that moved. Um, there weren't a ton of surprises. Even the guys that the Islanders got were certainly, you know, Andy Green made a lot of sense, even if he wasn't like a, a big name on the right. rental market because of his ties to the to Lou. Um, and Pajot was really the top center available. So it was just sort of a matter of who he was going to end up with. Um, I don't think of the other guys that moved. There was really a lot of mystery to it or, or uh, someone that, that could have made a big difference for the Islanders. Um, so I kind of feel like they, they did the most effective things they could do. And really the Parise one was kind of the wild card one. And uh, that would have, uh, that would have, that would have opened some, that raised some eyebrows, shall we say. Oh and, yeah. Uh, uh, all around the league to, to, to see the Islanders possibly do that. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So outside of the Islanders, you have the, the arms race in the Metro continuing. Chris Kreider ends up staying with the Rangers. You have the Caps getting Kovalchuk. The Pens go out and get Patrick Marlowe and Sheary. The Canes get Shea and, and Vatnin on defense. I guess you look at all that and, and the type of hockey that the Islanders have been playing lately. I mean, did they do enough to even have a chance to come out of the Metro with the, with the way this deadline went? You know, I... I you look at the way that they played really since, since kind of the, the new year, you know, and which coincided with Adam Pellick's injury and they were right. already out, you know, Cal Clutterbuck was already out. Uh, not exactly household names around the league, but guys that are kind of important to what the Islanders try to do with, with their balance and rolling four lines and three defense pairs, uh, you know, and getting green and getting Pajot helps them with that, but really still missing Sezikis and, and Clutterbuck just getting back the other night, uh, still missing Pellick. Um, it's still a very, they're still kind of a fragile group. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's the most interesting part to me is uh, when they couldn't score a goal on their road trip was probably the best stretch of goaltending they've gotten all year. And right. for and, and that, that's a difficult one to swallow when you, you've got a guy who's basically ready to steal you games and only giving up a goal or two and, and they didn't get any points out of some of those games. So, um, you know, I still think that they're, in good shape to make the playoffs. Uh, there hasn't really been a lot of winning going on around them in that chase with those, Luckily, yeah. you know, those kind of the, the four teams that the four teams that are around them. But uh, you know, and their schedule does get a little bit easier. I, I think this week, you know, was certainly disappointing. But you look at they're playing a Ranger team that uh, that had just kind of come off a deadline where they maybe thought they were going to be selling a bunch, and instead they signed their. You know, they signed Chris Kreider, and and uh, Rangers have really had a tough. The Islanders have really had a tough time with them all year, and then back to back with probably the two best teams in the league in Boston and St. Louis, and managed. You know, blew the lead in St. Louis, but still get a point out of that. And the Bruins have just dominated them. You know, since the beginning of time, it feels like so. Right. Um, you know, it, it, this was going to be a tough week, no matter what. I think. Uh, I think the week coming up. Uh, it, it will kind of tell us a little bit more about where their where their heads at. Um, you know, Montreal coming in. Montreal's probably pretty much officially out of it now. Mm-hmm. They go to Ottawa, and then and then Carolina, which is kind of the really they they only see these teams that are right around them. Not that much more. They've got two more with Carolina and one more with Columbus, and that's really it. Um, and not a ton of playoff teams either. So you know, there's still an opportunity there for this team to to get back to where they need to be uh, in terms of winning games. I don't think. Uh, I don't think we've seen their best for a long time so far this right. year, but I think there's enough there to, to get them into the playoffs. And they feel the way that a lot of teams feel that you know I, the the division is very good. But you look at a team like Philly that was you know, I don't know if anybody thought they were going to make the playoffs uh, three weeks ago when they when they rallied from three nothing down to tie the Islanders and then blew it in the final minute. 
Mm-hmm. I think they were sort of hovering on the edge of the playoff race, and here they are. They're challenging for the top of the division right now. So I think it's, I think uh, the Islanders, like a lot of teams, feel like if we just get in um, and we're we're reasonably healthy, then uh, then we're just as viable as anybody. Right, for sure, for sure. And um, there were some interesting calls this week in some of the games with, with reference to interference, and I just wanted to get your <laughs> thoughts on that. You know, you have the disallowed goal against St. Louis, and, I mean, as far as I can see, Anders Lee didn't really <laughs> interfere with the goaltender at all, from what I could tell. Then you have that first goal against Boston. It probably doesn't even matter with the way the game is, ends up going anyway. But, you know, you, you see that, that first goal, and it looks like Varlamov, you know, was interfered with. Now, granted, of course, you have Andy Green involved there, and he might have put, pushed the defenseman into him. But it just seems like there's a lot of inconsistency league-wide with these interference calls. Yeah, and it's been going on for a long time. and it's, uh, it's, definitely, it's definitely an issue. I just don't know how you solve it. It's, it's very difficult for the refs on the ice. You know, I think uh, in that... Ranger game, the, the the disallowed goal by Taves with Lee standing in there. You know, the ref saw Lee's feet in the blue paint. He didn't see anything else because he was looking through a bunch of bodies. But all he saw was a guy planted in the blue, uh, immediately waved it off, and that had a big impact on the review because it has to be it has to be conclusive evidence to overturn. And I don't know if I've ever seen conclusive evidence on any goalie interference call either way. So. <laughs> right. um, you know, I think the it's kind of the same coin flip in the in the uh, in the Bruins game. If if that ref doesn't see Andy Green get a stick underneath Patrice Bergeron skates, and also it's Patrice Bergeron, you know, it's a guy who's maybe the, one of the more honest players in the league and has been for a long time. He's not he's not going feet first into a goalie to try to rattle him out of his cage. Right. Um, and I think on the replay, on the replay, you saw green did get a stick underneath him. It probably should have been a penalty, uh, on the Islanders for, for tripping right in that spot. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I, I just don't know. Uh, I don't, I, my, my general feeling is, especially on the one against the Rangers, why does the call on the ice have to mean so much? I feel like if you're going to review it, you just start it from scratch. You know, it's, it's sort of a nod to the officials, making the call on the ice, but I don't, you know, I'm sure if Kevin Pollack, the referee made that call, if he was looking at it in a vacuum after the game, he would have said like, Oh, I probably could have called that a goal. And it would have stood, you know, it just, mm-hmm. it's just, it's, they're making a snap judgment and the guys in Toronto in the situation where have the time to review it and look it over and converse about it. I don't know why the call on the ice should mean anything kind of the way it does with, uh, with the offside challenge You're either on or you're off. So I don't know, you know, from that standpoint, it's that's probably the only thing I would change. Uh, the rest of it, there's no standard to be put in. It's just hard to say. You know, I think 20 years ago, when the standard was if you have a if you have a you know a, a centimeter of a skate blade right. in blue paint, it's no goal. Mm-hmm. That's a waste of time because that's that kind of kills the offense and keeps things from having much flow. Um, you know, and and I think you go back to play in the playoffs last year against Carolina where Anders Lee was pushed in, which we've seen an awful right. lot not yeah. be called now this year. He was not only, not only was he pushed in and the goal was waved off, they called the penalty on it, which was yeah. insane. So, um, you know, that kind of stuff, I think, I think maybe if, if you start to, if they really want to make a, a serious attempt at fixing it, you take it out of the hands of the on ice officials. And just as soon as you don't blow a whistle, nothing happens. Uh, the goal goes in, the ref doesn't make a gesture either way, and you just take it to the review. The rest can look at it on the ice. They've got mm. people in Toronto. Maybe maybe you start to put a third 
ref and eye in the sky in each building to really, you know, have someone who can give it some more perspective on, on scene. But, um, but yeah, it's, it, it is, it is completely inconsistent and must be very confounding for not only uh, the players, but the coaches as well, because to, just, to choose to challenge, uh, you're basically gambling, a, a, you know, putting your team down and then giving up a goal as well. Right, and these aren't easy calls to make. I mean, in the in the heat of the game, the, the fast pace of the game, I don't envy these referees having to make these calls. But you know, for a fan being able to see the replays, it can be very frustrating. You know, to see a, a controversial call not go your way. But the last thing I'll leave you with, Arthur, is there any update on Casey's Zika status and when we might see him back in the lineup? Well, Barry Trout said uh, the other morning that uh, they were hoping to get him back on the ice soon, which I assume would mean sometime this week. And, uh, you know, whether he hasn't really been out long enough, I would imagine, to need uh, a conditioning stint the way Cal Clutterbuck did. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, maybe he's a week away. Uh, he's certainly a guy who's really important to what they're doing. I think that, you know, Clutterbuck's back. Obviously, Pellick's not coming back until maybe sometime in April, but, uh, but Sezekis is, is really the key. And I think not having him, I'm certainly eager. And I think the Islanders are eager to see uh, what they can do with Pajot and Sezekis being kind of their two top four checkers and mm-hmm. taking a lot of the heat off Barzal and Brock Nelson. Um, you know, that's what kind of what they're pointing towards to, to get their full lineup back. And Sezekis, you know, I think, uh, of all the guys that have been missing, Pellick being out has, has been a problem too because they didn't really address that situation until until a couple of weeks ago with the green trade. But but Zizekas missing really really hampers their forward group. And um, you know t- if they can get him back within the next week or ten days, you know I think there's still time to salvage some things. Absolutely. Well, Arthur, great stuff as always. Really appreciate your time, and I uh, hope you enjoy the rest of your Sunday night. Thanks a lot, Sean. Anytime. All righty. Take care. All right, folks, that All was right. Thanks, Mr. Folks. You got it. That was Mr. Arthur Staple from The Athletic. Great stuff from Arthur. Always a pleasure to have him on the show. And uh, we'll take it from there, folks. So, again, just myself tonight. No Tony Stabile. But the show goes on. And, look, I mean, I didn't get a chance to really get into that whole Parise trade uh, before Arthur comes up, came on. But, I mean, what a strange, what a strange trade that would have been, right? The whole lad swap for, for Parise and... I don't know what effect that would have had on the team long term when you look at the contracts and, and everything like uh, like Arthur mentioned. And would it have been good for, for a playoff run this year? Yeah, sure. Get a guy who can score goals even though he's 35, right? Uh, it's, it's a known quantity for Lou Lamarillo, and I'm sure he would have slotted real nice on one of those wings. Because, look, we all know scoring has been a problem for this team. It's been extremely inconsistent. I mean, look no further than yesterday against Boston. And even, you know, you look at the Ranger game, and we can talk a little bit more about these games in depth. You know, they've dominated the first half of that game. I mean, the first period was just no contest. There were so many close calls. But they just couldn't finish. They just couldn't get the puck in the net. And, you know, this has been a bit of a a trend lately. You know, you look at that road trip out west, and they had a, a real tough time scoring goals there, whether it was in the game against Vegas or otherwise. And, you know, getting a guy like Parise would have been nice. It would have been helpful. Now, you know, hopefully this is something that Lamarillo is going to look at this summer. And like Arthur was saying, you know, maybe there's some younger options available. And, you know, maybe they, they entice some some guys with some contracts, you know. But, you know, it's just frustrating to, to have a game like that against, uh, against the Rangers where they, they dominate play for, for a good portion of time and they just can't get rewarded for it. In fact, the Rangers end up capitalizing on their few chances. I mean, <laughs> I guess that's, that's the difference, right? When you get a guy like Panarin on your team where you can kind of bide your time, 
you know, you get this guy open, <laughs> open just, you know, inside the, in the, inside the dot there. And, you know, he puts one in for a goal, just a very frustrating first period for the Islanders there. And, you know, they, they go on to, to, like I said, they, they salvage the point. They force, they force overtime and you have that controversial interference call. And who knows if they end up tying the game. If, you know, that one ends up standing, it's cause it just, you know, obviously then there ends up being a face off at center ice and the game, you know, unfolds a different way. Who knows? Maybe they don't force OT at the end. So, they end up getting the point and, uh, you know, a little bittersweet, I guess, you know, to get that where um, you play against the Ranger team at home and, you, you know, you're hoping to get the two points. And, you know, we'll move on to the St. Louis game and we kind of covered the main meat of that already with Arthur anyway. And, you know, just it's just look, he like he said, right, you got the two best teams that they're playing against St. Louis and Boston. And, you know, the Islands have played St. Louis pretty well lately over the last year or so. And um, I guess against the Cup champs, you know, in their building, you, you take a point, right? I mean, look, again, uh, you know, you go out to a 2 nothing lead, and I guess what would, would just surprise me the most about that game is, is, is the team electing to go into a shell. I feel like that's a little out of character for this team. I mean, sure, maybe they become a little more defensive, but, I mean, you just look at the way that they were dominated, you know, by the Blues once the second period came around, right? And they were just hanging on for dear life, and it just seemed like the the Islanders had a really hard time, you know, going into that shell. I don't know why they didn't just try to pump in a couple more goals, but, I mean, look, at the end of the day, you know, St. Louis ends up getting two late goals in in two different periods to, to force this game into overtime, and, Anthony Beauvillier hasn't really had a, a good run in overtime lately, right? You have um, him flubbing the puck, you know, early in overtime against the Rangers. That that springs, you know, uh, Panarin in, and it boggles, I think, all our minds when you see all three Islander players go right after him into the corner there. And, you know, you have two Rangers wide open. Panarin makes a great pass to to some space, to some surface, and there's Zabinjad ready to, to crank one into the net, and Varlamov doesn't have a chance on it. And there's your loss, you know, and then you look at the overtime against the Blues the other night and, you know, similar where Bavillier kind of ends up, uh, you know, flubbing a play and the Blues come back and they, you know, take care of business. They get the goal and another overtime loss for the Islanders. So, you know, just uh, just an unfortunate turn of event for the events for the team there. And then, of course, you have Boston yesterday and uh, I tweeted it during the game or after the game and I'll say it again. Butchie deserved better. You know, usually you'll, you'll see the home team when they have, like, a jersey retirement or something like that. You know, the, the team gets up. You know, they get up for that game, and, you know, they put on a good show for for whomever they may be honoring. And, and I thought we might have seen a little bit better of an effort from the Islanders uh, yesterday against the Bruins. But, I mean, like Arthur Staples said, I mean, the Bruins have just had the Islanders number. They do not match up well against them at all. To be perfectly honest with you, if the Islanders do end up having any chance to come out of the Metro, I hope the Bruins are taken care of by then. I hope Tampa Bay knocks them around a little bit and <laughs> takes them out. I know I'm getting ahead of myself here, but the Bruins are just not a team I would want want to see the Islanders face in the playoffs. And that's also, hey, if they end up with a wild card, that could happen in the first round. And uh, I would not have a good prediction for that series if the Isles end up playing the Bruins in the first round. But obviously, we still have a lot of games to go before we get there. So, after these losses, that puts the Islanders at 35, 21, and 8. Good for 78 points in 64 games. Where does that leave them in the standings? Well, let's take a look. Right now, they're still hanging on to uh, one of those wild card spots. 
They're, they're beneath, the Flyers, crazy enough, they, they leapfrog the, the Penguins. They have the number two spot. They're one point behind the Caps for the Metro uh, lead, as Arthur pointed to before. And look, I mean, you got a lot of things going on here. You have Pittsburgh now with 80 points. The Islanders, two points behind, no games in hand. They've, they've pretty much caught up to, to most of the division, most of the league, when they used to have games in hand the whole season. Then you have Carolina, three points behind not only the Islanders, but also Columbus trying to knock on that playoff door with uh, Columbus having a real rough go, 2-4-4 four, and four in their last 10, but they did win their last one. So, look, I mean, it's and, they, and you have the Rangers now. You know, the Rangers have been playing a lot better hockey. I mean, the last two they dropped, but, you know, they went on that great run. They're 7-3-0 in their last 10. And, look, when you have a weapon like Panarin and, and, and you're, you're this close, you have, you know, good goaltending. The Rangers got a shot. I didn't think they did, but they got a shot to get in. But, you know, look, they, they still have to leapfrog the Canes. They got to leapfrog one of the Islanders of the Blue Jackets. So it still might be just a too, too much of a uh, tough of a hill to climb for the Rangers. But, you know, they're going to scare these teams either way. I really think that um, that, that last spot is going to go to Carolina. I think the Islanders get in there, and I think Carolina finds a way to gain, you know, regardless of, you know, how the seeding ends up, you know, whether the Islanders can catch Pittsburgh for the third place or whether they can, you know, catch Philly for second. Not sure. I, I talked about that before. I, don't, I think not even realizing that Philly was in that spot. But, but look, it's going to be a tough road ahead. I mean, they have, what, 14 games left, right? No, 18 games left. 64 games played. So they got 18 games left, 36 points left on the board and look it's going to be a real tough tough go here if they continue to go 500 you know as as we said 6 6 and 3 for the month of february and this has got to change but you know arthur raises some good points you know they bring in Pajot, and and that helps stop the bleeding as far as the the center depth with Sasikas being out with the injury green comes in he he helps a little bit with with pellet going out but you know, I think when Sezikis does come back, you know, maybe we start seeing, a, a, you know, some more balanced efforts from this team. I mean, Arthur points out the fact that they're, they're going to be the two main four-checking guys. They're going to be your defensive centers that are also going to, you know, have the minutes spread. And I've talked about balance on this lineup, right? And, and Arthur brings up the fact that Barzell's have, having to play, you know, more minutes, maybe Nelson as well. And hopefully when Sezikis gets back, guys like Barzell, Nelson, and, and, you know, just the guys on the top two lines in general – can, you know, focus on scoring goals, can focus on offense, right? You know, their their, their uh, responsibilities are, have, have been, you know, raised a little bit here, you know, having a guy like Sezikis out and, and, you know, of course, before Pajot came in. So, you know, that should help change the dynamic yet here. And, you know, look, 18 games left, and, you know, they, they got a, they got some tough ones coming up. And, look, I mean, they're just going to have – it's they're just going to have to re, refine their game here. And – you know, we talk, we've talked about how healthy they were last year, generally speaking. And I think, you know, that helped a lot. And, you know, you know, even though, and I know a lot of you guys will point to Pittsburgh and, they'll, you know, you'll point to other teams saying, well, look at what Pittsburgh did without Crosby and what this team did without this guy. And, yeah, of course, there's a point to be made there. But the thing about the Islanders is that this team is very much the sum of its parts, right? Whereas, you know, maybe you still guys got, you know, got guys like, Malkin and whatnot in Pittsburgh where they can carry the load when Crosby's out. But, you know, you lose some key cogs on this team. And, you know, you don't say that about a lot of fourth-line centers, but Casey Zizekas, as we all know, is a key cog on this team. Cal Clutterbuck, when he was out, and he's only getting back, you know, and, and Adam Pellick. And we saw the reason why, you know, they had to address that need and bring in green. So when you get one of your major, you know, parts of this team going out, I mean, you, these, this is what you're going to see. Because, again, it, the team is very much... A sum of his parts, and 
you know, it's it's uh, it's it's been it's been an interesting watch, you know, to see how these injuries have have affected the team this year, you know, uh, compared to last year. So, look, hopefully they can get healthy. Hopefully they can stay healthy, and you know, Ryan Pollock can stop blasting shots into his teammates. Couple of couple of scares there, right? We almost saw some some bad injuries. You saw what happened to Brassard. He had to wear that uh, that extra protection on his face because uh, Ryan Pollock has a an absolute bomb back there. But moving on from that, you know, I talked a little bit about the arms race in the Metro, you know, just to just to cap this this deadline discussion here. And I got to say, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, look, Arthur maybe had a little bit more of a positive outlook than I was expecting. Um, I just because of this this lack of scoring, the struggle to score, the power play has been so inconsistent. It was nice to see Pajot get a power play goal. And his debut against the Rangers, I mean, what a debut this guy had for the team, right? He, he sticks up for his teammate, he, he gets the goal, and look, I'm really excited about this Pajot, you know, acquisition going forward. You know, again, Arthur brings it up, that center depth once Zizekas comes back. You know, you can, you can compare them to about the rest of the league, like he said. I mean, that's just great depth going forward at a, at a very crucial position for, for any successful hockey team. So having that one through four, Barzell, Nelson, Pajot, and Sezikis is, is definitely going to be a bright spot for this team. And, you know, we should all be looking forward to seeing uh, that come to fruition when Sezikis gets healthy. But just overall, as far as the deadline goes, and you see what these other teams have gone out, I mean, of course, Washington got Kovalchuk, right? You know, he ends up playing very well in, Mon- in Montreal. He starts putting pucks back up on the board. And now he gets to play with someone who I assume is his buddy in Alex Ovechkin. Maybe that's unfair just because they're both Russian. But (laughs) needless to say, they got a lot of weapons there. They already did, and they add another one, even if it's an aging one in Ilya Kovalchuk. So, look, the Capitals are going to be tough. We all know how tough... You know, the Penguins are, they're bringing a veteran leader like Patrick Marlowe. Not sure how much he has left in the tank, but he's going to help as well. They also bring back Connor Sheary. And, you know, you look at the Canes, you know, obviously there's that goaltending situation, but they bring in a couple of defensemen here in, in Vatten and Shea to, to shore that depth up a, little, up a little bit. But they're on the outside looking in. Um, but, you know, again, it's, it's, it's going to be a tough, tough battle, you know, from here until the end of the season. So to move on from that, we'll just talk about the big Coliseum announcement yesterday. I think that's... Uh, that uh, brought a lot of smiles to Islander fans' faces when the when the uh, Islanders were able to announce that they will be playing the playoffs, all games at the Coliseum, should they make it this year. And then that's it. After March 22nd, that will be the final game at the Barclays Center. I know most of you will not miss it. I won't really either. I mean, look, we know we know that the building wasn't made for hockey. We know that it doesn't have the best sight lines depending on where you're sitting. And look, I personally didn't like being a slave to the train schedule, right? I mean, 99% of us were probably taking the train into those games. And, you know, look, everybody's got lives, got jobs, right? You got responsibilities. And you, once you become a slave to the train schedule, it gets a little harder to, to maybe make that proper train and get out there. So I'm definitely not going to miss that. And I think it's awesome that they're going to be back in the Coliseum for one more year. You know, nostalgia all over again. But the great news, folks, is is once that's over, they will be moving into the brand new Belmont Arena, which is going to be absolutely fantastic. I have definitely checked that 24-hour camera more times than I care to admit, but it's exciting. Every next time you look at it, there's some more steel up. There's some more things going up, and it's just going to be great to have that built. So... Very excited for that, and, and you know, good on good on the Islanders and, and Gary Bettman and the league, and 
Andrew Cuomo, everybody who got involved to, to make that happen. So that's great news. And once again, I don't think uh, too many fans are going to be upset about the leaving Barclays, except for maybe, you know, some people out there who it was convenient for, right? If you lived around the Brooklyn area, or maybe it was easy for you to catch a subway out of, out of Manhattan, what have you. But it is official, folks. The Barclays saga will be over as of March 22nd. So if you care at all, that's a Sunday game, an early, I think that's a five or six puck drop against the Carolina Hurricanes. So go get your tickets if you if you want to see the last game at Barclays. And if you don't care, then, you know, do what you got to do. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. But big stuff there. You know, what I guess puzzles me, though, is, you know, and now, granted, it may have just been BS at the time or, you know, just a reason to throw out there. But, you, you know, I'm sure we all remember you know, why the Islanders had to play the second round and beyond, you know, last year in the playoffs because, you know, it's not a not an NHL, you know, professional facility. You're not going to be able to fit the media in there, what have you. And now all of a sudden they decided that not only, you know, for this year's playoffs, but also for, for next year and next year's playoffs, if, if they get in there, then all of a sudden this, it's not a problem. I guess they're just going to, look, we'll make it work. I don't know. But, you know, it just makes you wonder, why couldn't they have just played the Coliseum games, uh, the uh, playoff games at the Coliseum last year? Not to say that I think it would have made any difference in that sweep against the Hurricanes last year, but it would have been nice to have those games at the Coliseum as well. But look, this is great news. There was some, you know, hints about it earlier on in the season, and um, it looks like those those little birdies that were that were sharing some information got it right and the New York Islanders will be playing the remaining games at the Coliseum for the playoffs and next year, and then it is onward to Belmont. So before we wrap up here, it's usually going to be a you know a shorter show without having Tony around, but um, you know we should be back at it next week, regularly scheduled time, barring any uh, last minute surprises like today. Unfortunately, yeah, sorry folks. Uh, Tony ended up getting tied up, and we kind of had to scramble to make it happen. We were able to get get Arthur on, but uh, next week at 9, I believe we will be good to go. And with that said, look, I mean, like I've said earlier, this 500 hockey isn't going to cut it, and the offense, the power play has been very inconsistent. Again, I I know it's it's tough, right, because it's been going on for a while now. You know, as it's been said, you know, since maybe December, January, the team just hasn't been able to put, you know, consistent, strong efforts together where they can just string some wins together, you know, win some, lose some, 500, 500, and they got to break out of that, you know, again, not only for this, for this seeding battle in the, in the Metro and in the Eastern Conference, but also just to, just to go into the playoffs on a high note, you know, I mean, you got to be riding high, you got to be feeling good about yourself. I mean, one bright spot, you know, despite, you know, how this week has gone and how these past couple of months have gone is, is Jordan Eberle. Uh, going into the game yesterday against the Bruins, he had points in five straight. That was obviously snapped via the shutout yesterday. But strangely enough, just like last year, Jordan Eberle is starting to come on here in the, the late stages of the season, and hopefully that continues because they need him. They need him to score goals because it's been such a problem getting pucks in those nets lately. And, uh, you know, you get him going and... And hopefully the rest of the roster can get going too because, look, I mean, again, I, I, I can keep reemphasizing it, but, you know, it's no easy road here to the playoffs. You know, last year was a lot different. We kind of we kind of knew their fate, maybe just uh, barring whether they were going to get home ice, bar, barring whether they were going to take the division. But here, you know, the future of this uh, Islander season is very uncertain with all these teams in this dog race. So, 
you know, I guess, uh, you know, we had Tony on. We do the whole zero of the week because of uh, the fact that the Islanders failed to win a game this week. So it's hard to dole out a hero when you don't get a win. The closest coming to that, I guess, would have been Jordan Eberle and, you know, call this a cop-out, what have you. But my zero of the week is just going to be the team itself. You know, I, they, we just need to see a better effort. It's just been so inconsistent. You know, it was great the way they came out against the Rangers on Tuesday night, but, you know, again, it wasn't enough. And, you know, they look good coming out against the Blues too. They started off real strong against the Blues, and they get two goals. They get rewarded for it. But then they go into that shell, the Blues take over, and, and, and all of a sudden they're just hanging on, hoping to get, you know, one or two points. And it's it's got to be a more consistent effort here through 60 minutes. And... You know, I, I guess, you know, yesterday just was what it was. I mean, again, as Arthur said, as I reiterated, they just don't match up well against the Bruins. I, I haven't looked ahead at the schedule. I don't know if they have any more games against them this season, but I hope not because it's just such a tough out for the Islanders for whatever reason. So, you know, we'll uh, we'll see. We'll see how that goes. But, folks, I think with all that being said, I, I'll just look at the week ahead, actually, before I wrap and then we will call it a show. So let's take a look at the the calendar here. Arthur Staple already alluded to it a little bit. This, in theory, should be an easier week for the Islanders, but we know how they have struggled against the bottom feeders of the league in the past. But Tuesday night, Barclays Center against the Montreal Canadiens, and then they have Thursday against an even more depleted Ottawa Senators team. I mean, if you lose that game, you don't really deserve to go too far, right? I mean, they just, I mean, look, they have some decent young talent over there, but I mean, especially after unloading some more guys at the trade deadline, there's really no excuse to to lose to Ottawa, even if the game is up in Ottawa. So that will be a 7.30 start on Thursday. And then Saturday, 1 o'clock, Nassau Coliseum, the Carolina Hurricanes come to town. And that's going to be a big one, folks, because we know where they are in the standings. And then after that, they have a two-day break, and I believe that will be the last two-day break or more for this team going into the end of the season. So, yeah, that is correct. I just looked at April. They only have two games there, both at home, one against Chicago, and then they close the season out against the Devils. But, yeah, folks, they got this week. It's a little easier. Then they have a West Coast swing. The following week, they go into Vancouver, Calgary, and Edmonton. Make a stop at Pittsburgh, and uh, look, they, there's there's some winnable games in here, no question about it. Just looking at the schedule ahead, you got some games against Buffalo, you got some games against Jersey, um, you know. So look, but either way, it's just got to be a, a more consistent effort every, every night. And you know, when this team is on, you know, you're getting it right. The, again, well-oiled machine. We saw it. We saw that all last year, and for for whatever reason, it just hasn't been the case this season, and it's been a you know, a much bigger struggle, but folks, we're going to be here, we're going to be watching, and hopefully these guys can pull it off in this last quarter of the season. So, with that said, folks, we're going to wrap it up here again. We missed Tony Stabile. Sorry he couldn't be here, but we'll be back next week, 9 o'clock. want to send a big thanks out to Arthur Staple of The Athletic for joining me. Remember, you can follow the show at HockeyNightNY.com. You can listen live before the all the archives. You can follow the show on Twitter at Hockey Night NY. You can follow Tony at Tony Stabile. You can follow myself at Shawnee Hockey. Thanks a lot for tuning in, folks. We will see you next week.